This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. And Healing Hearts Ministries. You may say that's a real fancy long name. Why do you need to have a name that long? Really because it is a twofold thing. Help enhance is the very practical side. That's the side where we go into the hospital and we carry the medicine to those who are sick and dying and who would die if we did not bring those medicines to them. It's the side where we're out scarring the streets at night for children who need our help. That's the side that you'll see in the video as we walk down the dark and windy alleys, even at midnight some nights, to go out on rescue missions. That's the side where we're cleaning up the sick, the not very glamorous side. That's the side where we're unblocking toilets. That's the side where we're painting walls. That's the help in hand side. That's the side where we're sitting side by side with the children doing their assignments, doing their homework, teaching them everything that they need to know, being a parent to them. What is the healing heart side? That's the side that only the Lord can do. You know, you get to the point in a lot of the lives of these children where you quickly realize that money's of no use to them. At that point, only the Lord can heal their broken hearts. I want to tell you tonight that we have been able to help literally thousands of children, thousands of them. Hundreds have come and stayed in our children's homes and our recovery units. Uh, we've helped thousands literally in the hospitals and in the communities. As you watch the DVD tonight, you'll see maybe just how vast that has become. Because sometimes it's hard to imagine how much it's grown uh, from the very beginning. I, I mean, I remember coming to Dad and Clifford at the very beginning and saying, this is what I'm wanting to do. This is what's on my heart. Uh, little did I know that 14 years later, we'd end up with a team this big and we'd end up with over 60 mouths to feed, over 50 children, three children's homes, a hospital ministry, a kids club ministry that goes out into the community every Friday and ministers to about 100 to 150 children. It's even grown since Ferns was there. Uh, we used to do the Bible studies in Foster Street then. It was, uh, we only had a few. There maybe be over 100 now Ferns every Friday. I mean, it absolutely amazes even us sometimes. We can't, uh, we can't believe just how much and how many children the Lord has brought into our care. Not on the videos tonight uh, because we didn't. We chose really not to video it at the time, but I know that a lot of you gave specifically for Tuckloban a couple of years ago when the, when the huge floods happened. Many of you messaged me and said, look, I threw something into PayPal there, you should get it in a wee while, and, and I've lodged something into your account, and I want to thank you for that. What we did was we, we quickly put the money together and, uh, and took some money that we had already and we just took it by faith knowing the Lord would replace it. We booked our flights and I led a team of 15 down to Tuckloban. We flew to Cebu and we were able to go in uh, via boat because actually the airports were still closed off um, because there was just dead bodies everywhere for as far as the eye could see and as far as the nose could smell. It really was that bad. So we, we went in by boat and we were able to go around some of the worst hit islands that others had not even reached yet. We, we partnered with another wee team uh, uh, called Mercy in Action UK, um, an English girl, Emily, and her husband, uh, Tim, run it. 
and they brought along 15. So I ended up leading a team of 30 down into Tuckloban, and it was absolutely amazing. We went to Dan Bandayan, we went to uh, Palumpon, we went to all these different islands. And you know, it sounded great in my head when I was planning it. And then when we actually arrived, and I had a team of 30, and they pulled up this wee tiny sailing boat. And I'm looking at it thinking, now I told the team we're going by boat. I'm not thinking this wee canoe here with, with uh, stabilizers on the side. I'm not thinking that's what they were thinking. I, thought, I think they thought a Roro boat, which is one of the ones, you know, you can drive on, drive off. And we did use those to get to where we were going. But when we got to the part where we were going to, we piled onto this glorified canoe with stabilizers. There was 30 of us plus the boat driver, who clearly didn't have a map because he got us lost. And, uh, and there we were sailing across the ocean in the blistering sun with no roof. We were using bits of cardboard to cover our head. We had our, our, our uh, scarves out of Joyce's shop up over our head, uh, keeping the sun off us. And we were able, though, to go in and minister to hundreds. I tell you, it was life-changing, just walking down those streets. It was just devastating. It was just, the houses were just lying on a heap, like a pack of cards that just folded. Um, and we had brought a team of six doctors with us, and it was amazing. We were able to go in and just minister. And they, they kept saying over and over again, I would hear this said, there's something different about you lot. There's something different about you lot. And on the last day, I said to one of the, the social workers, be specific, what's different? She says, I'll be honest with you, most people come in and they hand over a bag of medicine or the doctors listen to somebody's chest. Actually, they have a big wound in their leg that needs dressed, but they quickly listen to their chest, they hand them some medicine and they leave. But they take about 50 selfies before they go. Take loads and loads of pictures before they go and they hand out these bags with their names stamped all over them. And, and it's very, you know, whose face, whose face could be at the front of this? But when we arrived, I mean, we had our Black Helping Hands t-shirts on. And apart from that, we just were there to minister. So we would go in and we would ask, could we come in? And they would say, okay, all right. And we would go in and I could see the joy wasn't there. By the time we left, they were trailing out the door after us. They were asking, is he coming back tomorrow? Um, I remember sitting in the ends of, it was literally tables. They were just lying on tables. Whole families were given maybe one table. Some were on it, some were under it. It was in a big basketball court. A, a room this size maybe would have had about three to 400 people just lying back to back in it. But it was safer than being out in the street. And I remember many the night we went in through uh, the evacuation centers and we just listened to stories that would literally break your heart. Stories that you never thought in a million years you would have to hear. Daddies who held two children in their arms as they held onto to trees and had to make a decision which one they would let go because he couldn't hold on anymore. We heard stories that for, it took even us, it took us weeks to get over some of the things that we had heard. But the Lord had given us a purpose in what we'd done. We went in and we ministered. We brought joy, not a fake hope. We went in, we didn't say if you accept Jesus in your heart today, uh, you'll wake up in the morning, you'll have a house, you'll have a car and everything will be restored to you. It wasn't like that. But we were able to go in and really minister the heart of Jesus. Jesus is close to the brokenhearted. That's what the word of God says. That's his promise, that he is close to the brokenhearted. That was very much the side of the healing heart side of the ministry.
We were able to save lives. We were able, we went into one particular evacuation camp and they brought a tiny little baby to us. Um, she had been born in the evacuation center about uh, seven days before that. And a few of the doctors had had saw her and had just said, oh, it's, yes, you know, just give her some paracetamol, do this, do that. But our doctor saw her and said, no, she's septic. You need to get her to the hospital. And we were able to get her to the hospital, pay for the treatment. We literally saved her life. Another child... Uh, or one of our pediatricians that came with us said, I, I just noticed this child out of the corner of my eye. And I went over to the mummy and asked her what's wrong. And she's so sick of bringing her to the doctors that come to the medical missions that she just stopped bringing her. But she says, Claire, she has meningitis. I'm telling you now, it's meningitis. You need to get her in. So we went over and talked to the mummy. And she was like, well, even if I bring her, I just arrive at the hospital. They'll ask me how much money I have. Can I afford the treatment? The truth is I can't. I've lost everything. We said, we'll take care of it. We got her to the hospital, we did the lumbar tap. Sure enough, it was meningitis. She was in for about three weeks, but her life was saved. God knows exactly people's needs. He knows who to send, the right time, the right place. Uh, it was just an absolute honor to be able to serve in that capacity. You won't see it in the video tonight, because like I said, after hearing that that's what most people did, just come in and took selfies and pictures, we just decided, oh, just put your cameras away. Maybe took one or two of a few that we'd grown close to, but the rest, we just didn't do it. We handed out aid that you had sent or you had sent money for. We blessed them, we prayed over them, we went. <coughs> Holding a mother in your arms as she weeps over her child. Asking the Lord to mend her broken heart. Holding a child in your arms as they pass over into eternity. For me, those are the hardest parts of the ministry. Those are the parts that you really need the grace of God for. And that's the parts that I would ask you to pray for. Do you know, sometimes the Lord may bring me into your mind. You just must stand doing the dishes. You're thinking... I wonder how Claire's doing out in the Philippines. Great. The Lord dropped me into your heart. Stop what you're doing, except if you're driving down the motorway, because that would be really silly. Stop what you're doing. Take a wee moment and just bring me before the Lord. Because you never know what I'm doing out there on the other side of the world. You know, it might be like 3 o'clock on a Friday afternoon for you. It could be 10 or 11 at night for me. I could be standing in the ICU pleading with God to spare their life. I could be standing, counseling a child, convincing her that there's hope, convincing her that we will not hurt her, that we will, we will love her, we will take care of her. I could be talking to a child about finding them a forever family, a family who'll never let them down again, never abandon them again. What I find is when, when people phone me and say, what were you doing last Tuesday? The Lord put you in my mind last Tuesday. It really is like that. I could nearly tell you what I was doing. And I could nearly tell you that I had prayed a quick prayer. You know, one of Nehemiah's bullet prayers up to heaven, Lord, please help me. Sometimes that's all I can say, Lord, please help me. But he knows my heart and he knows my needs and he knows their hearts and he knows their needs. Tonight on the DVD... You're going to see a lot of children. These are children who I cannot tell you about every story. I wish I could. Would be here to would be here to tomorrow. Wouldn't even be here to midnight. Would be here to tomorrow. I can't tell you every story, but I'm going to tell you some. The Lord really laid it on my heart this year. 
the theme of he knows your name. 2012, I was here, 2011 fundraising. When I went back in 2011, as you know, we've worked with sick children for all these years. We've got the two recovery units. We have the hospital ministry and the community ministry. But as I was here the last time, the Lord had really put it on my heart to open a children's home. And I planned to come home the last time and share it with you. I planned to come home and tell you about needing an orphanage. We would have to fundraise and I was ready for it. And for whatever reason, when I got home, my dad says, ready to go. We're going to fundraise for the orphanage. I says, do you know what, dad? I'm just going to... I'm just going to leave it for now. I'm going to fundraise for helping hands in general for the recovery units. We still need a lot of help. Our rent up in Baguio is £900 a month. That is a, that's a heavy burden to carry. Um, we, just need, we just need really... I just, I'm just going to stay with that for now. And it was the funniest thing because I was so fired up for it before I got here. Then I got here and the burden seemed to leave me. So... When I went home, I was here fundraising for about three months. When I got home, about two weeks after I got home, I got an email from an American couple. And they said, look, we're going to go back to the States. Would you pray about taking over our orphanage? Ah, that's why. I knew there was something, but I didn't know what it was. In my mind, and in my human understanding, I thought I was going to start an orphanage from scratch. I didn't know I was going to adopt one. Most people adopt one child. We adopted the whole orphanage. We took on 14 children and nine staff. My daddy will tell you when I phoned him and said, Dad, we're going to maybe take on this orphanage. What do you think? It's good to phone your daddy when you're stuck. It's all right. Even if you're 40, you can still phone your daddy when you're stuck. So I phoned my daddy. I says, Daddy, what are we going to do? We've been asked to take on these children. And you know, they've been brokenhearted and rejected that many times. I haven't the heart to see the place closed down again, see them misplaced again, see them, you know, put out, brokenhearted all over again. I cannot stand it. He says, I hear what you're saying, love. I hear what you're saying. We've no money in the bank now. I just want to let you know we've enough to do us for what we have. But I'm just letting you know. I'm not putting you off. He says, I'm just letting you know we have what we have. Um, you know, we have two wee charity shops now. We have Compassion and Darling's Town. We have Christine and Carol's one here at the top of the street in Moira. And, you know, and they're working night and day and day and night to bring in and, and they're doing their best and all of them. Hands up if you're from the charity shops tonight. Hands up. Oops. See all that? All these people, all these beautiful men and women that are bringing in the money for helping hands, that are keeping us going. I'll not do a hands up if you support monthly, but I'll tell you there'd maybe be another, at least half of the church would put their hands up to that as well. And the money's coming in, but... We have to be good stewards. We have to be good at budgeting. You're not going to spend a million pound if you've only got 100,000, are you? But when you're asked, can you take on these 14 children? Because if not, they're going to get split up all over the place. They're going to go in the social services homes. They're going to be returned to some distant relation who didn't want them in the first place. It's a no-brainer. I'm not very good at saying no. I told her, let me pray about it. I came back to her straight away. I says, the Lord has really burdened me in my heart to say yes to you. So in 2012, January 2012, we took over the children's home. Like I say, we adopted 14. There's now 27 in it. I told you I'm not very good at saying no. <laughs> There's 27. Dear knows how many there'll be by the time I come home in the next two years. <laughs> but 
The Lord provided miraculously. We really did not have it. But, you know, all of a sudden, some people began to just spring up and say, Do you know, I mean, I've known you for years, but it's only now I'm in the position to help you. Could I, could I support you monthly? It's, it's 10 or it's 20 or it's 50 or 100 or whatever it is a month. Thank you, Lord. Suddenly, a church contacted us that had saw us on Facebook and said, Would you be our church missionary? We'd love to support you. And we're going to give you, and we're going to double it and double it and double it. I said, hallelujah, praise the Lord. My daddy always says, don't count it till it's in your hand. Do you know that no sooner said it than they gave, and it was in our hand. And the Lord really did make a way for us. I tell you, there seemed to be no way. I'm not joking. In fact, our staff, our team, they even that first month, they even said, because their allowance, I'll give you for example, our social worker earns maybe 9,000 pesos. That's about 140 pound a month. If she walked into social services right now, she could be earning 500. She'd walk in on 30,000 for the years of service she's had and all she's done. So what we give our team is really a love gift. They really are missionaries. They really could be earning two or three times the amount elsewhere. But by the grace of God, they stay with the mission. Do you know when we took on Children's Home, they all pledged half their first month's salary. They all said, look, we know that it's really not there. We'll put in towards it. Let us give half of our salaries uh, just to get them off the ground, just to get them started. Wasn't that a beautiful thing to do? I love it how the Lord even uses our own team to provide. Broken hearts and rejection. That is the hardest thing in the world to mend. There's something about the heart of a rejected child. It's really hard to fix. In fact, even in this room tonight, I would know that there are adults who have struggled their whole life. And if they traced it right back, it would go back to somebody rejected me. My daddy didn't love me. My daddy left my mummy. Or my mummy always said this about me. She always wanted a boy, but she got me. Or my husband, he walked out on me. He left me for somebody else. Or my children, they chose to live with somebody else. They didn't want to be with me. Or when I was at school, I had this teacher, and he used to hate me, he used to say this about me. It goes back to being rejected. And you know, there's always hope in Jesus because he's the healer of broken hearts. That's what he does. But sometimes we forget to come to him and we forget to bring our own hurts to him and say, Lord, how about this one? How about this hurt? I want to remind you tonight in the midst of what I'm sharing that the Lord also knows your hurts. The Lord also knows your hearts. He knows the hurts that you've carried for all those years. And as much as he wants to heal the hearts of these children, he wants to heal your heart too. I want to encourage you. Once you do get your heart healed, you become so much more of a blessing to everybody else around you as well. Your countenance changes, your way changes. You could walk into my children's home tonight and you could tell who the newbies are because they look different. Got different look. And it's not just that they're wee head are full of nits. It's not the big bellies that are full of worms. It's not that. There's something different about their wee faces. But you could come back in just a few weeks' time 
when the Lord has just began to touch their hearts and you could see the difference. Uh, a couple, Maricel and Johnny, came recently from the States and they had been there six months before. And that was one of the comments that they made. My goodness, the difference that six months makes in some of these children. Like, I actually can't believe it. It's like a whole new child. And that's really the truth of it. Again, that's the healing heart side. How does the Lord provide for us? Do you know, there's days that we were literally at our wits end. I'll tell you one miracle in particular. One day, not too many months ago, maybe two months ago or less, we were sitting and, and as happens every time that I'm coming home, the money always runs low. I'll tell you a secret. I'll tell you why that is. Because I don't want to come home. That's terrible, isn't it? But it's the truth. I don't leave my husband. I don't want to leave my children. I don't want to leave my helping hands children. I don't want to leave my helping hands team. I struggle with it every time. I don't announce it on Facebook half times until the last minute because the Lord might change his mind and I might need to go home. But it never happens that way. When I'm due to come home, our money always takes a big plummet, doesn't it, Daddy? Every time. Why is that? Because the Lord's given me a big shove. Get you away home. Remind the people. Get their hearts stirred up again for the ministry. Remind them what they've given to. Let them know what they've been given to. And that's what happened a few months ago. Suddenly the money was low. I remember one day we were in the children's home and we were in CRU. And children's home, you know, is literally two doors away from the children's recovery unit in Baguio. But Baguio to Alongapo is four and a half hours drive. It's three and a half if I drive it, but don't tell my daddy. But it's about four and a half hours drive from Baguio de Longapo. So when I have to go to work, don't tell me you have a big trip to Belfast to do every day. I feel no sympathy for you. For when I have to go to work in Alongapo, I have to drive four and a half hours um, to get to work. And do you know, and we were up in the Baguio recovery unit, and Marissa was just telling me, do you know what, madame, she says, we're all skint, aren't we? I says, we are, Marissa. We're pretty skint. She says, what can we do? I said, okay, this month, don't be buying any snacks. Buy, buy the groceries, buy the food that we need. Lay off the biscuits. No, no wee biscuits, no wee crisps. Um, we'll, we'll make do with something else, right? The Lord will provide. She says, well, we don't really have much rice either. I said, it's okay, the Lord knows. The Lord knows. She says, we don't really have much money either. Marissa, it's okay. The Lord knows. And she'd be the one sometimes to tell me, Madame, don't be looking all down about that. The Lord knows. That's the way we do. We keep each other going. Iron sharpens iron. That's Marissa and I were best buddies. So that particular week, we were really, we're on our uppers. We're cutting our cloth, as Dee would say. We're cutting our cloth. And do you know what? One day along comes this lady. And this lady is a Filipina. And she says, can I meet with your director because she's from Northern Ireland. And she says, and I live in Northern Ireland. She says, so Marissa says, Madame, you definitely want to come and meet this woman. She's coming to meet you. Uh, and I says, right, that's great. I'll be there. So I turned up at the CRU and I walked in and dear goodness, I'd never saw so many snacks. There was six packets, uh, six sacks of rice. There was a whole pile of snacks would have kept us going for a month. And that woman was Ursie. 
and she had come the whole way and she told me this isn't just for me now she says people gave me towards this um, and something had happened she had saw a post on Facebook and it was one of her friends had celebrated a birthday isn't that right or say or had celebrated something and came and blessed the children she saw it on Facebook and thought I'm going to go and do the same what a small world sure she didn't know that I'd be going to her church she was still in the Philippines when I arrived last week and spoke in Sescador so she's literally fresh off the plane but what a blessing it was those are the ways that the Lord provides I remember another time with no nappies left and somebody shows up at the door with box loads of nappies in the exact size in the exact size because you've small medium large extra large and xxl they brought exactly what we needed joyce would put her order in as joyce jokes sometimes i'll say joyce there's something in the shop we need we need a i don't know a playpen or we need a stroller a twin buggy one time we need a twin buggy joyce she says there's no twin buggies we'll put her order in in other words she's going to go and pray about it sure enough wasn't that a day or two later joyce somebody arrives and says would you take a twin buggy she's like thank you lord there you go the order's placed <laughs> So that's exactly what had happened to her. So you maybe hadn't realized just how precious your timing was, but the Lord knew exactly. Tonight in the DVD, I want you to watch out for a few of the children. The first five children that introduced themselves to you, I want you to watch out for them. I'm going to come back and tell you about them. Watch out for the windy roads we walked down. There was one road in particular, the, the, the winding way to the house, it was no bigger than this. And I'm telling you now, our nerves were wrecked, for it was a really, really bad area. We were going in to rescue a 14-year-old who was getting abused by a 21-year-old. Our parents had done a runner. Well, the mum had done a runner with this guy's relative, had left her to be minded by this 21-year-old. He ended up not minding her. I'll not explain the rest. You can work it out. We had to go in and rescue her. 11 o'clock at night, I was at the police station. 10 o'clock, you'll see the granny on the screen. You'll know it's the granny because she has more wrinkles in her face than I'd know what. Where do you see? She's 86. She's absolutely brilliant. I had to go in at 11 at night and ask her permission to go and rescue this child. Had to do it. It was culture up in the tribes. You'll see the windy roads that we walk down. That's why I'm telling you, if the Lord reminds you of me, you better pray for me. Because there's nights I'm walking down this, literally taking my life in my hands. Do you know when we met that fella, I literally went up to him and I went toe to toe, nose to nose. I says to him, I'm taking her with me. I'll never see you again, sure I won't. Because if I do see you again, it'll be through the bars. He says, that's all right, you can take her. I says, that'll do. God bless you. <laughs> and we took her out. And then the wee policewoman, it was about four people behind me. She says, do you want to go and discuss this in the station? I says, I maybe we should. <laughs> that would make it more formal. So we went to the police station and we discussed it. Uh, and do you know what? I never did see him again. He really did stay away from her. People say, how do you do that? You, you must have a neck of brass. I do in that moment. I've got the boldness of God all over me in that moment. See, when he walked away, my knees were shaking. I thought, he, I was close enough he could have stuck a wee knife in me there. Nobody would have noticed. But, but in the moment, the grace of God takes over, and you're just able to do what you have to do. Why? Because the Bible says that I have to defend the orphan. I have to help protect the oppressed. So I want you to watch out for that street. I want you to watch out for the first five children. I want you to watch out... For three wee children on the back of Daddy Edwin, 
You'll have a laugh. You know the way you play horsey horsey? Dear love, Edwin, his back must be broke. There was three of them on his back. Do you know those three children came off a tricycle in Manila? They were just living in a tricycle. Their parents had been taken to jail for doing drugs. Auntie didn't really want to take care of them. She had a squad of her own. And they came into us. In fact, that's one of the wee boys there, wee Kim. He's telling you he's guapo. He's telling you he's handsome. They came in, and I tell you, the first week was hectic. There were like tornadoes going through the house because they've been used to just roaming the streets, you know. We dewormed them. Well, that was a hoo-ha. You want to pray for our nursing staff the weeks we deworm. Are you ready for this? 40 tapeworms that size. 40, Stephen, not one coming down your nose when you were in Africa. Do you remember that? 40. 40. It was like a bowl of spaghetti. Hope none of you is having spaghetti for your dinner when you go home tonight. <laughs> You'll never quite eat it the same way again. Sure you won't. 40 each. When I tell you, that's the helping hand side of it that's none too nice. Olivia and Raymond cleaned a few of those, I think, in their time when they were out there too. Honest to goodness, it would absolutely scare you. But those children tonight are safe. They're well. They know Jesus. They love Jesus. In fact, you'll see one of them. You'll not miss her because her wee face, she's, she's saying her memory first and the wee face is all screwed up. You'll not miss her. So watch out for them. And then I want you to watch out for Chris. He's a big boy. He's called Chris. Same name as you. You'll not miss him because he's got his name on the back of his T-shirt and he's riding a bike. I want you to look and see if you notice anything different about him, okay? Going to ask the children. So you just have to watch carefully. See if you notice anything different about Chris. I'm going to tell you about him. Watch out for we fill up up in the arms of his daddy. It'll say foster care and adoption. I'll tell you about him. And then finally, I want you to look out for a wee boy. I'm standing combing his hair with my hands. Good you're not smaller than me. I have an awful habit of doing that with children. In fact, I was doing it Christopher the night before I realised what I was doing. That's just a habit. You just It's a wee loving thing, isn't it? You just have to pet their wee heads. You look out for Emmanuel. I'll tell you more about him later when I come back. So go ahead, Tony. There's literally thousands of lives touched and changed. What you've given towards, I want you to know it tonight, it has changed the course of their lives forever. It's no small thing. What you give into literally changes the course of their lives forever. That blows me away that I actually get to be a part of that. Uh, as we see the children growing up, even more now do we realize just how much of an impact we have on them. We have so many teenagers now who are getting close to the point where they age out. That means they're not even adoptable anymore. So we're going to have to move into ministry even with our older kids, making uh, aging out initiatives, making programs for them so that when they get too old to be adopted, we still get to be a family to them and we still get to parent them properly. There's a whole lot of children who are not on the video tonight. And the reason is they've already been adopted. I had the privilege of finding families for so many children last year. We have children in America. We have children in Italy. We have a child in Austria. And when I go back, there's going to be more adoptions. Uh, I just got word the other day that we, Marianne, has finally found a forever family. I think I found a forever family as well for Ethan. I found a forever family for Christine. So there's so many children this year, and it really has been the prayer of their hearts. It really has been the cry of their hearts. Every time you ask them, what will I pray for you for? They say, mm, 
and you mommy and daddy and brother and sister. We Marianne was very specific. She says, oh, I want a mommy with yellow hair. <laughs> She's going to kill me. Her new mommy has black hair, but her sister has yellow hair, so I'm kind of hoping that'll be all right. But it's so amazing how specific they can be. We weren't able as well to put on the video tonight the shoe boxes, but I want to encourage you, every child you saw in that video tonight received one of your shoe boxes on Christmas Day. Funny thing too, I got a, a, day, a call a couple of days before Christmas, and it was a big guy who's actually changed his name by Depot. His name is Santa Claus. He says, could I come on Christmas Day and give out the gifts? So it was so funny because the year before, Big Dave had just put on a suit and came and gave out the gifts. So the kids were kind of half expecting that Dave would come in and be Santa Claus. So, so this guy comes in and sits down. Ho, ho, ho. He says, Merry Christmas to everyone. And Ethan looked at him and he looked him up and down. And he ran up to him and, and he pulled his beard. Mm. Oh, he said, you're not Papa Bear. And Dave said, no, Ethan, I'm over here. He said, if you're not Papa Bear, who are you? Are you the real Santa Claus? And he says, indeed I am. Would you like to see my driving license? He says. And you know, it was the funniest thing. The man was really blown away by the whole ministry. He actually gave out the shoe boxes. We gave them out, of course, in the children's homes, the recovery units. And then that afternoon, we gave them out in the hospitals. And you know, it was so funny. I, I had a load of shoe boxes left over. And I said, Lord, I know that you know exactly who needs these. And, and I don't know for why, but it's all girls' shoe boxes. I seem to have a ton of them. So, Lord, put it on my mind who they're for, because I don't want to go home with shoe boxes in my car. And he just brought it to my mind that there's a children's ministry called CFS, and it's for sexually abused girls. And I had never even been to it. Never even been to it. I had to say, okay, Lord, you need to give me a wee spirit of GPS here because I have no idea where I'm going, but I'll just set out to drive and we'll, we'll arrive. And they'll let us in because that's just what I had the faith to believe for. So we set out in the road and I knew it was one time I had drove down a wee road. I thought I saw a wee building. That was it. So sure enough, I said to the girls, boys, you can go on home. You can't come. Girls, you come with me. And we drove down this road. We found this building. We knocked the door. This, there's a kind of no visitors rule, but I said, but it's Christmas day. And I do have a shoebox for everybody. They said, everybody? I said, oh yes, I'm sure there's one for everybody. They said, how many? I says, how many girls do you have, by the way? And they said, oh, we have, I think it was 15 or something, and this is the ages. I said, oh, yes, yep, yep, um, plenty with plenty. <laughs> we were close to the wire, I can tell you. There was a whole lot of changing going on. We had to cannibalize one shoebox and, and split it between two. But you know, the Lord really did know exactly the needs. We gave out a shoebox to every child that day, including those girls, and we literally had enough to do them all. It was amazing. Back to the video. Did you see the big boy, Chris? What did you notice about him? Yes, darling. <gasps> He'd no leg. Did you notice that as well? He only had one leg and the other one was missing. Do you know why that was? Actually, he was in the last video three years ago. We literally just met him in hospital. And when we met him in hospital, he had osteosarcoma, which is cancer in his knee. And his knee was the size of a basketball. That's even bigger than a football. So we had to take away his leg. But the thing with osteosarcoma is this. Usually with osteosarcoma, by the time you find it that big, it's already traveled. 
to the rest of the body. And you've wee micro mats all over the place, and it's really hard to kill, even with chemo. But God's good. Three years later, Chris has come to know the Lord. He's riding a bike. He's playing basketball. His last scan said he's cancer-free. I still believe in miracles. Do you? That's why you need to keep us in your prayers. Did you see the five children at the beginning? The first wee boy, he said, my name is Leo. Did you see him? He was all burned looking. Leo was a wee street boy from Manila. And one night, he was sitting surrounded by drug dealers on the streets. And one of the female drug dealers thought it would be funny or wanted to see his reaction if she set him on fire. And that's what she did. She was high as a kite. She set him on fire. And you know what? When he was brought to us, again, it was one of those times at the end of last year, we had very little money in the pot. It was coming up to Christmas. Everything had a, a home. If we had a thousand pound, it was already earmarked for this. We had money earmarked for that. We, we were really, we were close. Uh, and I remember when they asked me if I could take him, I knew it would be major, major surgery. And I was saying to myself, Lord, you may help us. And, you know, sometimes the Lord provides in that way. Sometimes somebody will just send a wee check. My dad will phone me and say, Claire, somebody's just give 500 pound or somebody's give 1,000 pound or somebody's give 10,000 pound. It's just come in. Do you need it for something? And sometimes it's exactly what I need it for. But that particular time, that didn't happen. So I knew the Lord was going to do something else. And I wasn't quite sure what it was. But we said yes to Leo. We took him. We pulled him out of the, the center for street children that he'd been found in. And we, we took him home with us. And we got word that a team of Australian plastic surgeons were coming to Baguio. And they were looking for more children to operate on. We got him straight up to Baguio from Manila. It's a six-hour drive. We got him there. The Australian surgeons operated on him. And by this stage, his face had stuck to his chest, completely stuck, mouth wide open, just like that. He couldn't lift his head anymore. And it was very painful for him all the time. Did you ever get a creak in your neck? How sore is a creak in your neck? Can you imagine not even being able to lift your neck? can't even talk properly, can't even open your mouth. But the Australian surgeons were able to just release it. They gave him a chin, uh, and they gave him back his life. He stood in that video, and he put on his glasses because he thinks he looks better with them on. There's no frames in them. Like, he just thinks he's cool. <laughs> he says, you can call me Leo. He said, my name is Leo. Do you know, when we first took him in, Funny thing, he had all these different nicknames. Some days he would tell you his name was Ding Dong, like Ding Dong Dantes, this famous, gorgeous actor. And some days he'd tell you his name was... He had all these different nicknames. He was always hiding behind a nickname. But what I've noticed lately, he's begun to find his own identity. And he's very proud now to tell you, my name is Leo. Isn't that beautiful? No more hiding behind the mask. Did you see Melanie? Doesn't that child amaze you? I'll never forget the day we were called to the Nico and we were told, can you come and see this wee baby? And you know, usually they pull back the blanket and you're, you're looking at her and you're saying, oh, she's beautiful, oh, he's gorgeous. And they pull back the, back the blanket of Melanie and I remember looking at her and saying, oh, Lord, help us. She had no hands, she had no feet and she had no mouth. She had just lips, but they were sealed shut. 
And I remember we took her in and we began to pray, Lord, make her smart. Lord, make her beautiful. Make her funny, Lord. Give her a real sense of humor. She has a wicked wee sense of humor too. Lord, make her clever like the rest of her family. Lord, just make her the most independent, strong wee woman because what she is going to need it as she goes through life because kids can be horrible, you know. We really prayed all of these things. We tube fed her for three years through a tube in her nose. And by God's grace, at three-year-old, we find a surgeon who was able to open her mouth. Exactly as we prayed, she's never stopped singing his praises. She's just finished P1. Do you know, when we got her, we had no idea what her brain function would be. We had no idea. You can't tell by looking at a newborn baby how clever they'll be, if they'll be, you know, 100% brain function, 90%, 20%. We had no idea. We had no way of knowing. But God has given her 100, I'd say 110% brain function. She is amazing. Everything we prayed for, she's strong, she's pretty, she's funny. Did you see her dancing? Oh, she has a great wee goer, I tell you. She just, she just makes your heart, she makes your heart proud. Would you pray for Melanie? Because when I go back, I'm going to be searching for a family for Melanie, a forever family, a family who she can call her own. Because we have raised her from she was born. And her mommy has been around on and off. But they literally, they live up the side of a cliff of a mountain. They literally have nothing, absolutely nothing. It's not even safe for her to go there. And, you know, the older she gets, the more and more I realize just how much care she really will need. She needs good prosthesis. We just sent her again to another medical mission and Rachel messaged me. We were all excited she was going to come home with this new leg. Rachel messaged me. She says, it's a piece of trash. It's like a big table leg. She says she can hardly lift it. Hardly lift it. She says she's far quicker without it. I says, Rachel, I'm sick of getting all these rubbish pieces of prosthesis when I know that around the world there's this amazing technology there's things that can be done for her so it's really in our heart to find her a family who also have it in their heart to just make her the best that she can be do you ever see the guy Nick he has no hands and no feet he goes around the world sharing his testimony I really believe I really believe that'll be something like Melanie. I really believe that she'll someday give her testimony and it really will bring glory to the Lord. It's just written all over the child. So pray for us as we go home. Pray as we do that. Did you see we Sheena? Do you know, just last year, uh, through partially through your giving, through the giving of people around the world, we were able to remove Sheena's right lung. It had completely collapsed totally collapsed. It was useless. And it was making her really, really, really sick. It took thousands and thousands of pounds, but we're able to get it out. And she has come on so, so well. She still has a long way to go. I think she needs more uh, help than we can presently give her in the Philippines. But again, uh, just before I left, on a list of hundreds of children, somebody said, I want her. I want her. It's been Sheena's prayer for many years now. Lord, give me a mommy who will love me. So pray as I go home and try to match these families together. Would you pray that that family will be the right family for her? Do you know I really believe that even tonight, somewhere in the world, there's a mommy praying somewhere, even for Melanie. Lord, wherever my daughter is in the world tonight, Lord, would you keep her safe? Lord, may somebody be tucking her in. May they kiss her on her head before they tuck her in. May she say her prayers, Lord God, as she goes into school tomorrow. Lord, would you go with her? Would you strengthen her? I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that. Because the Lord promises that his heart is for the orphan and he places the lonely 
and families. Did you see the wee boy Philip going up into his daddy's arms? Philip's biological mummy is not in her right mind. She's homeless. She wanders the streets. I've tried to give her a home many times. She's just not in her right mind, so she likes to wander the streets. She can't, can't tame her. And one day she was found laying on the ground. Someone realized that she was probably in labor. They brought her to a birthing home. She gave birth. Uh, she said she wanted him called Philip. And four hours later, she got up and she walked out of the birthing home. And she left him. And that birthing home was a Christian birthing home nearby us. They phoned me and said, Claire, this woman has just come in. She gave birth. Um, she looks possibly homeless. I says, did she speak perfect English? Was she small, short? Yep, that's her. I said, I know who she is. I've helped her many times, actually. They says, look, she's left the wee baby here. Do you want to come and take him? I said, I will. So we took him. That was two years ago. And just there... In the middle of last year, we found a mummy and a daddy for him. And do you know, the beautiful thing is this woman didn't even go abroad. We found a local mummy and daddy. Daddy is an attorney. He's a lawyer. Mummy is the guidance counselor at a prestigious school. And they ha were unable to have any children, and they were just praying and praying for the right one. And along came this wee boy. And I can tell you... They gleam with pride. I just looked at a wee Facebook post the other day. In fact, it was today because it was Mother's Day. And he was on just saying about how their world has just been rocked with this little one that's come into their lives, that it has changed their lives, it's changed their outlook on life. And I'm just so grateful that the word of God is true, that he places the lonely in families. Finally, did you see the wee boy at the end? I was fixing his hair. Maybe in the middle of the video, actually. Do you remember the last time I was home, I told you that we'd gone and done a medical mission in the Muslim community. Uh, that day, we saw 453 patients. My poor doctors were exhausted by the end of the day. Exhausted. 453 in one day. Sure, you'd have a fit of 453 were in your clinic when you turned up tomorrow morning. But that's what we did to these poor doctors of ours. And they did absolutely brilliant. We had gone out looking for people in the community, for those who were even too sick to come to the part where we were doing the medical mission. But uh, as I walked past one house, we came out from the ocean. We'd walked out literally on wee stilts out onto the ocean. Um, we'd rescued a wee girl who had appendicitis. They kept saying, I think it's serious for she can't stand up. We asked her, can she walk? She can't walk. We'd gone out onto the ocean. We'd lifted her. We got her in the back of the ambulance and away to the hospital. On the way back, Doc and I were walking through. And just out of the corner of my eye, I thought I saw something. Do you remember this story? just thought I saw something at the corner of my eye, but I couldn't be sure. And I stepped back and I looked, and sure enough, it was this wee baby lying on a hammock. And I knocked the door, and I asked the mummy, is this your wee baby? She says, it is. I says, is he a boy or a girl? She says, he's a wee boy. I said, how old is he? Now, if I was to ask you, how old? Cheryl, how old is Aaliyah? She's two. She didn't hesitate, sure she didn't. Everybody knows how old their child is. If Tessa was out here and I said, how old Cecilia? She'd be able to tell me to the month exactly how old she is. In fact, she might even say she's, I don't know, is she six months now? Did I see that on Facebook? She would know exactly. When I asked this mummy, how old is he? 
she said, mm, it's maybe six or seven. She seemed really unsure. And I says to her, what's his name? She said, in Tagalog, wala papo. She said, he doesn't have one yet. In my heart, I thought, oh, Lord, seven months and he has no name. This is not good. This is not good. This is a mummy who's never bonded with her baby. This is a baby who's rejected. He was literally lying there starving to death. To cut a long story short, I scooped him up in my arms, asked her could I take him to the hospital. She said I could. I took him. We took him to the hospital. We saved his life. I called him Emmanuel because it means God with us. Did you see him in the video? I was fixing his hair. He's like a big sumo wrestler. He's not skin and bones anymore. Do you know when we had found him, he was the weight of a newborn at seven months old. I tell you now, I couldn't keep him in rice. He probably ate a whole sack of that rice by himself, that boy. You couldn't fill him. Uh, he, he just goes about, he's, cause sometimes he goes about looking to see if anybody's not finishing their dinner. He'll go over to EJ or over to some of the other ones and he'll have a wee look at their plate as if you going to take that. You know, I'll help you if you want. He's an absolute darling. Do you know, this year I'll have the privilege of placing him and his brothers in a forever family. Will you pray for Emmanuel? Listen to what the Word of God says. It says in Isaiah 43, it says, But now God's message, the God who made you in the first place, Jacob, the one who got you started, Israel, don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name. You're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you'll not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end because I am your God, your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you says later on, that's how much you mean to me. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. I'd trade all of creation just for you. So don't be afraid. I'm with you. Isn't that beautiful? It says, don't be afraid for I've ransomed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. It says in Isaiah 49, see, I have written your name in the palm of my hands. It says in Isaiah 45, I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I will do this so that you may know that I am the Lord your God, the one who calls you by name. The Lord of all heaven knows your name. The God of all heaven knows your name tonight. As much as I've shared with you about their names, this is Marco, this is Melanie, that's Roman, this is Esther, she's got a fixed heart, this is Jonavel, she's battling leukemia, this is Kim, got rid of all his tapeworms, there's Jeff, he's totally deaf, there's Matthew, rejected at 13, 14, what's going to happen to him? The Lord of heaven knows his name, there's Christine, three years battling leukemia, but she's got the victory and she's got her health back. God of all heaven knows every one of their names. He knows your name too. It says in the word that he loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Did you know that? 
Maybe you just came tonight and you thought, oh, I'll just come and hear that wee message about what I'm supporting out in the Philippines. But I want you to know tonight that the message that I share with them is that God loves them, he knows their name, and he knows their needs, and he knows that they need a savior. That's why I went to the Philippines, to tell them that they need a savior. I want to tell you the same thing tonight. You need a savior. You may say I'm a good person, Claire. I am a good person. Don't tell me these children aren't good children. There's good in all of us, but it'll not take us to heaven. If that would have took us to heaven, then God didn't need to send Jesus. But he did. Why did he do that? Because we need a way. We need a savior. The God of all heaven knows your name tonight. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? He knows your name. Is it written in the Lamb's Book of Life? If, like some of these children, if you stand and, and you face eternity, do you know where you're going? Do you know, I've led a lot of teenagers to the Lord. I believe when it's small children that if the Lord takes them, he takes them to go home to be with him. But I also believe when you're old enough to understand that you need a savior, the Lord holds you accountable. And I don't want to let you go out of here tonight without letting you know that as much as they need a savior, you need a savior. Do you know, I also ask them to pray for you. Every time we get our money, especially at Christmas, especially at the times where things have been tough, we're always reminded to pray for the people who gave to us. And sometimes I'll say to one of the wee ones, will you pray? You want to hear them praying? The tears would be tripping you if you could hear them. They're thanking the Lord for my sponsor. Lord, thank you for my sponsor. Lord, bless my sponsor. Thank you for their family, Lord. Thank you they have a house, Lord. I thank you, Lord, they're safe in their bed tonight. I thank you, Lord, that you love them because they understand that you are precious to Jesus. In their wee minds, the only difference between them and you is that they don't have financially and you do have. That's their understanding of it. That's their understanding of it. But when it comes to how much they're loved, they totally get it that you're all loved equally. We're all loved equally. Isn't that beautiful? I want to encourage you tonight. For what you have given, I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful. For the years of support, I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful. To my family and my family-in-law, I'm so thankful. To the two shops, I'm so thankful. To those who give monthly, I'm not even going to look at you because you'd be embarrassed tonight, but I want to tell you from my heart and from this platform, I'm so thankful. I couldn't do it without you. We have what we have because you've blessed us, because the Lord placed it in your heart to help us, because he loves them. Tonight, you have met with the most precious of children, as he knows their name, I pray you remember their names. And I pray that you lift them up before him continually. Never forget us. When the Lord, remember what I told you, when the Lord brings us to your remembrance, just take a wee split second, stop and pray for us, because I promise you, I'm in the midst of dealing with something that's going to change the course of their lives. He knows your name. 
My name's Claire Henderson. May God bless you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.